Thanks for listening to the Sub 25 podcast. Sub 25 is a ministry of Gardendale First Baptist Church for 18 to 25 year olds. Tune in as we learn how to live as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, Philippians chapter two, verse nine says, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you believe that tonight? I hope you do, because that's what you just sang. That, that, that Jesus' name is not like anybody else's name. It's a name that's above all names. It's a powerful name. And there's coming a day where even those who don't believe in him right now will bow before him and confess that he is Lord. Unfortunately, at that point, when they confess that he is Lord, it will be too late. And so I hope that right now you could confess that Jesus is Lord. Well, hey, I'm so glad that you're here tonight. If you would open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, we're wrapping up our series called Jesus is Better. So it's no wonder that we sang tonight about the name of Jesus because we believe that he is better, that that he is God and that he is good. And so as you turn to Hebrews chapter four, uh, I want to do a little survey. So I need some help. So uh, here's what we're going to do. We're talking about rest tonight. We're going to see this in Hebrews chapter 4. So according to a poll a few years ago, uh, the average American got less than seven hours of sleep. sleep. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Uh, You're going to have to stand up. I'm sorry you just sat down. It's warm in here. I think the AC is broken or something. Sorry about that. So how many of you get at least two hours of sleep. I'm assuming this is everybody. Stand up if you get at least two hours of sleep each evening. If you don't get two hours of sleep, we are going to lay hands on you and we're going to pray for you because that's got to be a miserable life. All right, if you get at least four hours of sleep each evening on average, we're talking about average here, if you get at least four hours of sleep, stay standing. All right, we got most people are standing at least six hours, at least six hours and people are starting to fall All right, it's okay. Listen, there's nothing to be ashamed of here, guys. I'm not going to make you feel bad. At least eight hours of sleep each. Okay, the seven, that seven mark, it killed us, okay? At least 10 hours of sleep each evening. (laughs) And even even if you get more, you just sit down, am I right? All right, so, so sleep, again, sleep's good. All right, I'm not done yet. The survey's not over. So how many of you take a nap at least once a week? Raise your hand if you take a nap at least once a week. All right, how many of you, like, you can't remember the last time you took a nap? Raise your hand. There's a few of you. All right, how many of you, you take a nap every day? Raise your hand. (laughs) We got a few hands. We got a few. Hey, raise it proud. There's nothing. In fact, I think they say they're some of the most productive people are people that take naps every day. Okay, I think you would agree with me that physical rest is a good thing. Can I get an Amen. All right, so physical rest is a good thing, but you know what's better than physical rest is spiritual rest. It's spiritual rest, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about spiritual rest and how we can have that. And so, again, we're in Hebrews. To give us a little bit of background, um, the author of Hebrews is actually unknown. Uh, we don't exactly know who wrote it. Now, if that, if that, if that 
to you makes you say, wow, well, how can we trust that it's in the Bible? Well, I would encourage you to join us this Sunday morning because we're going to be talking about how we got the Bible. But here's the thing. We believe that God's word is inspired and that God was the one who led men to write what they did. So we don't exactly know who the author of this was, but we see that that this is a, a book that we believe to be inspired. And this book is written to Jewish Christians. That's why it's called Hebrews. And so there's a group of believers that the author is writing to. Many would say that this is a sermon. So if you read through the book of Hebrews, many would say, okay, yes, it's delivered in a letter format, but a lot of people would say that this is actually a sermon. And so right now I'm preaching a sermon on a sermon in Hebrews. And so again, if you've never read Hebrews, I would challenge you to do that. But with this in mind, again, we see that the, the, the writer, God is writing through him. And in Hebrews chapter four, we see that, that, we see that there is a theme. And I, again, if you're somebody that likes to write in, your, write in your Bible, I want you to look at the word rest all throughout Hebrews chapter four, and you will find our theme. And so tonight I want to give us four principles based on our text. We're going to start reading in verse one, and then we'll kind of work through this. So Hebrews chapter four, verse one says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. So again, if you have something to write with, circle that word rest. And if you don't like circling in your own Bible, then circle it in your neighbor's Bible. I'm just kidding, don't do that. Um, But that word rest, you're gonna see it over and over again. And we see that this is a theme. And so what does this word rest mean? What's this word rest mean? Because again, we just got done talking about how much you guys rest, how much you sleep. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, opinions on what this word would mean. But here's what I want us to, to kind of hone in on that will help us understand what's going on. For our purposes, let's boil it down to two major ideas. First is salvation rest. So when you think about this idea of, when you think about this idea of rest, uh, don't, you don't have to write that down. This is not in your notes yet. Um, you have some blanks. We'll get to those in just a moment. But the first thing I need you to understand is this idea of salvation rest. It's this idea that when we receive Jesus Christ into our life, that we have rest. Like we have eternal life and we can rest in that. And that's the first idea I want you to think about. Secondly is this idea sanctification rest. Now, sanctification, it's a big word. But a lot of you, you're big kids, I think you can handle it. Sanctification is that idea of you becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, okay? So if you're not saved, first off, I'm glad you're here tonight. We want you here. We want you to know that we love you, and I want you to know that God loves you. But according to this text, according to this passage, this passage would suggest that you are not in God's rest. And we'll see that in just a moment that those who are not believers in Jesus Christ, those who can't declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, they're outside of the rest that we're talking about. Now, the other group in the room, if you have professed that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you have entered his rest. But I also believe that as Christians, and I think you would agree with me, sometimes our hearts are restless, even as a Christian. And so I believe that if you're a Christian and you have a restless heart, then you are not enjoying or living fully in God's rest. 
And so we see in our text here, let's read it again. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, talking about God's rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. So principle number one tonight is this. We need rest. And if you also want to write out to the side, our hearts are restless. We have a restless heart. We need rest. I saw the most bizarre news article today. It was probably not the most bizarre, but it was very bizarre. There was a 27-year-old man who has chosen to sue his parents because he didn't give consent to being born. Is that the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard? Like, I, I just, I can't even understand the logic, okay? Why would somebody make a decision like that? Here, let me explain. Because again, that's bizarre, but we know that bizarre things happen all the time. This young man, he starts getting into uh, just this whole idea of, of bringing people into the world, and it's hard, and it's frustrating, all these kind of things. He has a restless heart. His heart is restless. And his coping mechanism is, hey, I'm going to sue my parents. I'm going to get all this money, and I'm going to get a lot of fame as I do it. Again, we can look all around our life. We can look in the news. We can look on social media and we can look inside of our hearts and we can see that we are restless people. As human beings, we are restless. Now, the theme of rest really started in chapter three. And so if you look back in kind of chapter three, verse 11, verse 18 and 19, you'll see this word rest. And so in chapter four, the author carries this idea into that. And here's what I want us to understand, because what the author is doing and what God is doing through him, and we talked about this a little bit last week, is that he's using the people of Israel in the Old Testament as a negative example. Remember, the, the original readers of the book of Hebrews, they were Hebrews. They were Jewish Christians. That means that they would have understood the Old Testament. They would have known all the stories. They would have known what God's word said. Now, some of us, maybe you haven't spent much time in the Old Testament. Maybe you don't fully understand some of those stories. These Jewish Christians would have known that. And the one who is giving the sermon in letter form, he uses some of the Old Testament to make his main points. And he uses the people of Israel to do that. He says, listen, the people of Israel, God rescued them from Egypt, and he wanted to give them this promised land, the land of Canaan. But they rejected it because they didn't believe in God's promises. And so God did not bring them into rest. And we see that, that, again, if we look at the Old Testament, that this story, that the rest would be the promised land, that is the land of Canaan. And so the author, he's using that as a ne- negative example. And he's, he's about to tell people, we need to be careful. He brings it into their day and in our day. Hey, we need to be careful lest we fail to enter the rest that God has for us. Now, for us, that doesn't mean you looking at the promised land saying, should I go in or should I not? We see that the rest that I talked about a minute ago, salvation rest and sanctification rest. And so we see in verse one that the author, he says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering into his rest, let us. He's no longer talking about the people of Israel. He's now talking about himself and those who are reading. And he said, let us fear lest we excuse me, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Now, I want us to really think through this. 
The book of Hebrews is a little complex, and we have to apply our mind. we got to dig a little bit. So let's think about this. He just said, fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Now, if you're like me, you may be thinking, why in the world does God want us to fear? We see in Scripture that there's a lot of passages that say fear not. But in this passage, it says to fear. And that's interesting. Why does God want this group of people to fear? Can they not be confident in their salvation? Well, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says, These things I write to you so you may know that you have eternal life. And so I would tell you, God wants you to be assured of your salvation. He doesn't want you to wonder, man, when I get to the end of my life, I hope I lived a good enough life so I can go to heaven. God does not want you to go through life like that. God wants you to be assured of your salvation, knowing that you are in his family, you belong to him. But here's the reality. Some people have a false assurance. Billy Graham, you've heard this stat. He said that he believed that 75% of people in the church were not saved. I don't know that there's any stats to back that up, but it's an interesting stat. We see the parable of the sower. There's really only one out of four categories that ended up having fruit that remained. Again, so the 75% kind of goes along with that. See, I've spoken to numerous people in the past who thought that salvation was based on what they do. And I'm sure you've talked to people like this as well, where where you start talking to somebody about, hey, if you died, would you go to heaven? And they would say, well, I hope so. Well, what do you think it's going to take for you to end up in heaven? Well, I mean, I believe in God, but I probably need to be a pretty good person. And, you know, I go to church. No, 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 that's not the gospel. There are some people that think that they would die and go to heaven because they are trying to be a good person. And that's not scripture. You'll never find it in the Bible. God's word says that salvation comes through through faith. That when we believe and receive what Jesus has done for us, you see, we can't, we can't do enough good to outweigh all the bad things that we've done. We can't do it. And there are some who I believe firmly who come to church Sunday after Sunday and they think they're saved because they're coming. They think they're saved because they were raised in a Christian home. They think they're saved because they have a Bible. But again, that's not what God's word says. We see that those who believe in Jesus, those who receive salvation, those who trust in Jesus, those are the ones who enter into God's rest. Those are the ones who experience salvation. And so I believe that there are some, again, who believe that they have, uh, they have salvation, but they don't. There are some that think that their salvation is based on their words. So some, think there's, some people think that their salvation is based off of their works, and some, think, some people think it's based on their words. Let me explain this. There's a guy in Baltimore, and some of you, you went to the Baltimore trip, and we met this guy, and man, he was open about the fact that he was really opposed to the church. He was opposed to really what God would have. But he acted, and he did say, oh, yeah, I know it. ABC, admit, believe, and confess. And there was no fruit in his life. Now, could he have made a decision at some point? Maybe. But what I believe is that he had some words come out of his mouth that maybe he believed, maybe he didn't. 
And he's trusting more in that than he's trusting in Jesus. Right now, he doesn't want to have anything to do with the church. And so he really has no grounds to, to base his salvation on. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you love what Jesus loves? This man would say no. And so again, there are some, and I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. Trust me, I've struggled with that. And if you're struggling with that, please come talk to me. I'll tell you kind of my journey, and I'd love to help you with that. But we do need to realize that there are some who have a false sense of assurance. And Hebrews 4.1 says, Fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. See, it is healthy for us to evaluate our life and say, am I believing in Jesus? Have I trusted in him for salvation? Am I secure in him? And the hope is, is that if you truly are a believer, that you would be assured of that, that the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you would communicate to you, man, I belong to Jesus. But we see in First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 10, it says this, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Again, I don't want you to doubt your salvation, but I do want you to look inside and to think, okay, have I trusted in Jesus Christ? Have I trusted in him for salvation? Or am I believing in something else? Am I believing in my good works that's going to get to me and that's going to get me into heaven? Am I believing in, in something else? My attend? I don't know. Are you trusting in Jesus? You also may be thinking, can a true believer in Jesus fall short? So again, the writer says, fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Can a true believer come short? Well, I believe that once someone experiences salvation, they are kept in God's hand. And there's nothing that can be done to remove that person from God's hand. They are in the family. They are, God is, is their father. And in the same way that I have a father, in the same way that I'm a father, somebody can take my child away, but it doesn't change the fact that he's my son and I'm his father. You can get all kinds of paperwork done, but I am Hudson's father. He is my son. Once you are saved... God is your father. And so I believe that in this passage, when it talks about a falling away, that, that you could be a Christian, but not experiencing God's full rest. Because as a Christian, maybe you have gotten distracted. Maybe you're believing things that are not true. Uh, maybe you're moving in a direction that you shouldn't move in. And so you're not enjoying God's rest fully. But based on this passage, I think we can conclude that we need rest. See, the person who's not a Christian needs rest that leads to salvation. And the person that is saved needs a rest that continues on and on each and every day leading into eternity. And so people need rest, not physical rest. We need spiritual rest. Our hearts are anxious. We're easily stressed out, filled with worry and fear. And there are deep longings within our heart that need to be satisfied. But there is a problem. And we see it all the time. And here's the problem. It's principle number two. We look for rest in the wrong places. We look for rest in the wrong places. And if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. Restless hearts lead to reckless lives. Restless hearts lead to reckless lives. Has this ever happened to you? You're about to leave your house or a friend's house or something, 
you're on the phone and you're packing all your stuff up and you, you're about to head out the door, but, and, and you, you're like, I got my keys, where's my phone at? And you're holding it to your head and you're like, where's my phone at? And then it finally hits you that it's right there. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It's happened to me before. Here's the, here, here, here's the thing, though. There, this happens all, all, all the time where we're looking for something, but we're looking for it in the wrong place. Maybe you're the kind of person that loses your keys all the time, and then you realize, oh, yeah, they're in my pocket or they're in my backpack. We are easily persuaded to look for rest in the wrong places. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. It says, for indeed the gospel was preached to us, He's talking about the current readers of Hebrews, as well as to them. He's talking about the people of Israel back in the Old Testament. So the them, that's, that's the people of Israel. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Over and over and over again in the book of Hebrews, we see that God is a God who speaks. And we see the illustration that the author of Hebrews writes. He says, listen, God spoke good news to the people of Israel, but they didn't receive it. And he said, he said, God has also spoken good news to us. And so I want us to try and understand this a little bit more. The book of Numbers. Some of you may say, man, this is a boring book. The book of Numbers, Numbers, Leviticus, some of those old books. But listen to this. Because the author of Hebrews is talking about an event that took place in Numbers. You can jot this down or just listen to me. Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. God's people have been rescued out of the land of Egypt. And they're standing right beside the land that God wants them to enter into. And here's what God tells them. Numbers chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying... Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. That's also the promised land. Don't miss this. Which I am giving to the children of Israel. That's an important statement. God is making a promise. He says, listen, go spy this land. Go look at it. Go look at the land I'm going to give you. It says, from each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. And so a group of men are sent into the land. They come back, they report to everyone. But we see that only two, only two out of this group that were sent out said, man, God is going to give us this land. Everybody else doubted. They were fearful. Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 4 says this. Listen to this. So once they heard this news says, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. God had already said, I'm going give to give this to you. But then they got a report back from the men that spied out the land, and the report wasn't good. Because these men said, man, that land is full of all kinds of big, strong men that are going to kill us. And so everybody's upset. They're frustrated. Verse 2 says of Numbers 14, And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. They're now saying, God's plan is not better. They're saying it would be better had we died as slaves in Egypt. Verse 3 says, Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? When did God ever tell them that they're going to die? God told them that they were going to receive this land. 
that our wives and children should become victims. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said one to another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. This is what the author of Hebrews is talking about. He says, listen, there was good news spoken to the people of Israel, but they rejected it. They did not believe in God's promises. They turned their back. Those people said there is something better and it's not what God has. They didn't believe God's promises. See, if we're not careful, we will take on this same mindset where God has said, Here, here's the direction I want you to go. Here's promises that I'm making. But what you and I do is we say, well, I think there's something better. I don't really like what God would have for me. Again, we will follow our feelings instead of seeking God's face. It's so easy for us to allow our feelings to dictate the decisions that we make. But we could spend a lot of time talking about a lot of people in Scripture who followed their feelings and they followed them to destruction. Adam and Eve, Noah, Moses, David go on and on and on. There are moments in these people's life where they let their feelings dictate their direction instead of trusting in God. See, we will trust our hearts instead of trusting God's hand. We'll try to pridefully earn our place of rest instead of humbly looking to God to earn our place for us. See, God wanted his people to enter into this land, this rest, but they didn't believe God's promises. Again, they, they wanted a different kind of rest, something that looked different. And if you and I are not careful, we will look at God's rest, which is for us to trust fully and completely in Jesus Christ. And instead of that, we'll say, well, I, this, my, my heart is pulling me over here. My heart's pulling me to be in this relationship that doesn't honor God. Uh, my, my life is, is pulling me over here, man. I just, I can't, get, I can't get rid of the bottle. I just love the way I feel. I love having a good time. And we will seek what we would say is a better rest that ultimately is not better. And this is what God's people in the Old Testament did. See, sometimes God's plan and where God is leading us, it doesn't make sense. I love what one pastor uh, used to say. He says, God's will isn't the safest place to be, but it's the greatest place to be. See, when God's people were standing and they were looking at this land and they were fearful, it did not seem like a safe place. They wanted to leave. But because they turned their back on God, we see that, that, that it ultimately led to their destruction. See, God's people longed for rest, but they didn't trust that the best rest was found in God. They tried to manufacture some kind of better rest. And so how is it that we enter into God's rest? Principle number three, we can enter God's rest through faith. Let's look back to Hebrews chapter four, verse two. It says, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, okay? We've got us after Christ and them before Christ in the Old Testament. But the word which they heard, again, God speaking, did not profit them, not being mixed with faith, in those who heard it. So they didn't enter into God's rest because of their lack of faith. They did not believe God. They didn't trust in him. 
There was a lack of faith there. Listen to uh, Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Some of you would say, man, that's me right now. I feel like I have got this heavy burden. It's on my heart. It's on my mind. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Verse 29 says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Isn't it interesting how there can be something heavy on your heart, heavy on your mind. You go to sleep, you sleep for 12 hours, you get a couple naps, and you're still worn out. It's because your soul is not at rest. The only way to find rest is to come to Jesus in faith, believing in what he did, believing in who he is, and me trusting my everything into him. See, there's some things that keep people from entering into this rest with Jesus. In verse 25 of this same passage, it says that these things have been hidden from the wise and the prudent. You see, we live in a very intellectual society. And isn't it interesting how those who would aspire to be highly intellectual, oftentimes, not all the times, oftentimes trust in their wisdom, trust in their intelligence more than they would God, more in his word. And that's called pride. And we see that there are many things in people's lives that will keep them from coming to Jesus to experience that rest. But what we need to understand is that Jesus is the only one that can offer us true rest. We see that there's hope because Jesus says that we can come to him and we can experience this. We can experience this rest. And I want us to look at our last section, starting verse 3. And I'm going to read verse through verses 10, and then I'll give you our last principle. So in verses 3 through 10, we kind of see a lot of some of the stuff we've been talking about. Um, verse 3 says, For we who have believed do enter that rest. So there we go. It's faith. Faith. As he said, So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now what he's doing, he's talking about the people of Israel. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this, in this way. He's talking about in Genesis. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So we see this idea of rest is ultimately to point us back to God. It's to point us to Jesus. We see in verse 5, and again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. That's talking about the people of Israel. Verse 6, since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day saying, David, today, after such a long time as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so what the author is saying is, listen. God offered rest then, he's offering rest now. As God is speaking, if you harden your heart, if you don't listen, you won't enter that rest. Allow God to speak to you and respond in faith and you will enter into this rest. Verse eight, for if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. Let's talk about our day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. 
Principle number four, Tanner, if you'll go ahead and come on up here. We're going to close in, it's in a song of invitation, but I want to give you this last principle. We work from rest, not for rest. We work from rest, not for rest, okay? Now, verse 10, it talks about how there are works that cease once we enter into God's rest. What are you talking about? Works that are ceasing. Outside of Jesus, we try to earn our position. We try to earn our status. We try to climb the ladder of holiness, and you can't do it. When we enter into God's rest, we understand that there's nothing that we can do to keep our position or to earn it. The works ceased. So we cannot work for rest. But once we experience that, and once we're in it, we're abiding in it, we see that our life overflows with works. So we don't work for rest. We work from it. I want to close with this illustration. There are some people, and I've done this before. It's not my own. I've seen other people do it, but I don't know of a better way. What does it look like to rest in God? None of you, I don't think, when you walked into this room, sat down, kind of like, you know, hovering. I'm going to hover over the seat, wondering if the chair's going to give out. You probably just plop down. And if you're like me, it was leg day a few days ago, and I go down pretty hard because my legs are sore. Okay? I'm resting in the chair. I'm going to stand on it, okay? If it goes, I'm going with it. I'm going down. That's what a relationship with Jesus looks like. Everything, my all, is resting on him. Here's where some people are, though. This is comfortable. I got the one leg up. I got one leg on the ground. Just in case the chair gets knocked down, I can stand on one leg for a little bit. That's how some people are in their relationship with God. I'll go partly in, but I'm not going to go all the way. I got one foot in the world, and I got one foot in the word. That's not, that's not what rest is. Rest is, hey, I'm going all in. If it goes down, I'm going down with it. I'm giving him my all. And so for the non-Christian who is not experiencing any rest... We would say to him or to her, put your full rest in Jesus. This is the only place that your soul can find contentment, peace, satisfaction. But as Christians, what we do is we get in this position, and sometimes it's a little scary because of what God calls us to do and how he calls us to live. And we don't do that to keep our position. Again, we have life, but what we see everybody around us. And we're tempted to, to step down. Again, sometimes it's the people that we hang around with because they pull us down. But we're tempted to take, to take a step away and not be fully in that rest. So I don't know where you are in your journey tonight, but would you put your full rest in Jesus?